We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast, presented as always by WinBet, uh, the good folks at WinBet.com. Make sure you're checking out uh, WinBet if you're doing any sports wagering, especially on the NBA uh, as the conference finals get underway tonight. We have Game One in the Eastern Conference between Miami and Boston. Uh, I'm joined by James Anderson, who, who makes his return to the pod uh, amid baseball season, uh, just to kind of do a reset on the two Game Sevens that we watched on Sunday. Uh, preview both of the series in each conference and then talk a little NBA draft lottery, which uh, I'll admit, James, kind of snuck up on me tonight, kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been kind of a an under or maybe a properly discussed, but not an overly discussed draft class. And I think the playoffs have just been so good that that's kind of been where the focus is. Yeah, exactly. I think there was a lot of draft talk, you know, around the NCAA tournament. And then it kind of felt like, uh, most of the top prospects were eliminated, and, and as usual, it, it faded into the background. But uh, we have the draft combine this week. Uh, I think Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is when it really heats up uh, with the bigger name guys, uh, the team scrimmages, and all that. But uh, let's start with Bucks Celtics game seven on on Sunday afternoon. You know, you and I are, are both in Wisconsin. We're both Bucks fans. We'll, we'll put that out there. Was there any real disappointment for you in the Bucks? coming out of that game. I mean, obviously you're, you're disappointed in the result. You know, was it the greatest game for Giannis? The Bucks shot historically bad from three, but looking back on that series and on these playoffs overall, do you really feel like this was like a, a big missed opportunity for Milwaukee? Or do you look at the Middleton injury and say, you know, Boston was, was just the better team when you take that piece away? Yeah, it, it was definitely not a, a loss that's going to stick with me or bother me really. Uh, I mean, I think you kind of laid that out. I, I think it was – and it was kind of a fun series to sort of go into as a fan because I 
I was sort of thinking that before the series that if they just kind of really push the Celtics, that in itself would be a win because a lot of people were kind of predicting Celtics in five, Celtics in six. Uh, I didn't see many people at all predict it going seven games, let alone the Bucks winning. So, and I think that that, that made sense to me. I mean, I think the Celtics showed in the series that the way the rosters were for that series, they were the better team. Uh, I think like Giannis in game seven kind of reminded me of uh, like Kevin Durant at the end of that Bucks net series last year, where he had just carried such a heavy load for the whole series and had been playing at a, at a high level, obviously, but he just, I think he was just gassed. And uh, I really don't think the Bucks would have, whether they got Middleton back or not, I think they would have lost in the next round to the Heat, even if they had advanced, just because of how taxing that series was on them and how shorthanded they were. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, I think you're right about Giannis. He was clearly gassed. I think some of the layups, especially that he was missing, you know, in, in game seven, you just almost never see that from Giannis. And and even, even earlier in the series, there were times where, you know, he was clearly more gassed than he would normally be, you know, either asking out of a game or, you know, I'm thinking of that, that one possession where he kind of collided with Marcus Smart. And, and I think a little bit it was, was Giannis playing it up, maybe looking for a foul, but I think he just like could not get himself to raise up off the floor after that collision. And there were, there were kind of a few moments like that where you're like, I mean, this guy is pushing himself to the absolute brink. I, I'm not sure I, I agree with you though, that Milwaukee, would get beat by Miami. I, I think, assuming Chris Middleton comes back, it looks like Chris Middleton. I, I, I think the Bucks advance in that series. I think it's a tough series. I don't think it's a, a four or five game victory. It could go six or seven. But um, the only real disappointment for me, I, I think we're on the same page here, is that it's it's just a really tough break on the Middleton injury. And I, I think if Middleton was healthy, Milwaukee has a pretty good chance to repeat. I, I think Phoenix was the team that I would be most worried about because of how bulletproof they were throughout the regular season and early in the playoffs. And then, you know, Golden State, a, a very good team, but not as great as the Golden State teams we've seen in the past. Uh, Dallas, you know, I think you feel pretty good about that matchup if you're Milwaukee. So, you know, overall, you can't be disappointed when a result, you know, is, is clearly because of a key injury in Middleton. But I think the one thing you can look at is, you know, it's not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown here when you're talking about the Bucks' core. You know, these guys are not in their mid-20s. I, I think – it's it, there's no one to blame, but when Chris Middleton is what, what is he 30, 31, you know, drew holiday around that same age, like you only have so many more opportunities with this core. And I, I think to me, that's, what's a little disappointing is you, you can't necessarily say, Oh, we'll just be back for the next seven years because yeah, Giannis is, is right in the middle of his prime, but Middleton and holiday might not have that many, you know, peak years left. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's definitely right. Uh, I would not uh, predict them to win any more championships like with this core I think they they could definitely get another one but I wouldn't be going into any future season saying that they are my pick to win the the finals just because uh the talent around the league is just so impressive it's it's so um kind of consolidated within the the top eight to ten teams Mm -hmm. and I just think it was going to be like they, they've done a I don't know if it's like a, a really bad job or just a, a mildly bad job of um, getting the right role players around these guys. And uh, like I think in in hindsight, 
you know, opting for Bobby Portis and George Hill over PJ Tucker uh, might have honestly been the difference in this series. Uh, but I think in general, like the, part of what I was talking about with just, I, I think they might have lost to the Heat if they'd gotten out of this is you just, when you have such a, a top heavy roster, like Drew and Giannis probably put more into this series physically uh, than they had maybe any series in their careers. And they didn't have anyone helping them out. Like they had to initiate everything. And I just think doing that against probably the two most physical teams in the league and back-to-back series would have just proven too much when you're relying that much on your top two guys and you get Middleton back, but that also, like, I think there would have been an adjustment period there of just like kind of working him back in and, um, you know, that's a tough series to come back for after missing all that time. If you're Chris Middleton, where you're just going to be beaten up by, by Jimmy Butler, basically the whole series. So I, I, I just think the physical toll that that series took on, on Giannis and Drew specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and then the caliber of teams, like the four teams we have left standing are all just so good beating two more of those teams while relying this heavily on such a top-heavy roster, I just think it would have been a, a tough ask. Giannis and Holiday accounted for 45% of Milwaukee's field goal attempts in that series, which is a crazy number. But if you watch the games, it makes sense. I mean, it felt like that's how many they were taking. I think you're right about all that. Um, you know, it's it's not like there was a team like last year, The you know, the, the Atlanta Hawks are waiting in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't really feel like, man, we, we blew an opportunity. We would have walked to the Finals. Um, you, the Miami series is probably a coin flip. So I'll agree with you there. And, you know, if you meet Golden State or Dallas in the finals, that one's not a cakewalk either. Uh, but but nonetheless, you know, a, a disappointing end to the season for Milwaukee. Um, I was asked by a lot of friends, you know, after the game, like, what is the move here? You know, obviously you're, you're expecting to keep the core of Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday in place. But, you know, how do you get to a point where you feel better about this roster going into next season? And I, I think you mentioned something earlier that's a really good point where I think we're, we're past that era now where, you know, it felt like from like 2010 to 2020, there was always like at least one team in each conference, uh, sometimes only one conference where you're like, this is for sure the best team. If everybody stays healthy, this team is going to win. And I don't really feel that way. You know, even though Milwaukee might have the best player in the league, I don't think they necessarily have a path to building a team that you feel is as bulletproof as some of those Warriors teams or as bulletproof as some of those Cavs or Heat teams at least to get out of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I just think it, it's going to come down to you need Giannis, Brooke, Drew, and Chris to be healthy, and you need whoever is around them to hit shots. And if you do that, you give yourself a chance every single year. Like if, if all four of those guys are healthy and your role players shoot like 35% from three, in any given series, then I think you can win any given series. Uh, and that's basically just what it's going to come down to. And uh, I think that's, that's possible. I mean, that's not impossible. Like they, they all four of those guys could definitely be healthy. And uh, if you have say Pat Connaughton and uh, Wes Matthews back, I mean, those guys are capable of shooting 35% from three for a series. And then it's just kind of a matter of who else is taking those, 
those open threes uh, from a reserve role. Like, uh, you know, Grayson Allen's going to be back, presumably. Uh, he, I think he can be as bad as he was defensively if he's hitting shots at a 36, 37% clip from three. But when he's not hitting shots, then he's unplayable. And so it's just kind of a matter. It's just like a three-point percentage game. Like how how well can those role players shoot from three? And that'll basically determine how far they go in the playoffs. Yeah, sometimes I don't think you have to overcomplicate it. I mean, if Milwaukee shoots it better from three in either game six or game seven, they probably win the series and we're having a completely different conversation, right? I mean, obviously, defensively, I, I had some questions as to, you know, why they were so content to seemingly leave everybody wide open from three. Um, you know, it was just such a stark contrast. I think Boston was plus 53 on made threes for the series. Like you're not, you're just not going to win a series when there's that big of a deficit. Um, but, but I think you're right. I mean, if, if we're talking about changes for Milwaukee, the, the changes are going to come on the margins, you know, they're not going to go trade for Damian Lillard or, you know, add Zach Levine to this roster. Like that's, that's not really a possibility. Um, it's just going to be shuffling the role players. Like, I, I think, I don't know what, who the player even is, but I think you need to bring in, you know, this year's Corver type, you know, I, I think they, that's what they were really missing was a true knockdown shooter. You know, you have guys who run hot and cold in Grayson Allen. I actually thought Pat Connaughton gave them really good minutes for the first six games of the series was, was really bad in game seven, but you know, they don't have, they didn't have really one guy on that roster that Boston had to say, we absolutely cannot leave this guy open. Well, I think Grayson has to be that guy. Like they, they've just kind of painted themselves into a corner and for his career in the regular season, he's been, you know, a 90th percentile three point shooter um, relative to the rest of the league. So like he has to make shots. Like that's why he's on the team and you can't have two guys like that. Like you can't have Grayson Allen making the money he's making and then bring in another guy who is, maybe a, a tiny bit better at shooting from three and just as bad a defender. So like it, like Grayson has to be that guy or you can't, or you have to replace him with someone. Like, I don't think you can have two of those guys. So what's your lean initially on Celtics heat for the Eastern conference finals? Um, interestingly, Miami is, is a one and a half point favorite in game one tonight. I think a lot of that is rest related. You know, they, they last played on Thursday, Boston last played 48 hours ago. Uh, but Boston is the the slight favorite when you look at the series price. Um, and, and part of that, too, I, I think you're, you're maybe pricing in the fact that Kyle Lowry is already out for game one, you know, very likely to miss at least one more game in this series. But uh, kind of taking this matchup holistically, like what's your initial lean? Well, yeah, I, I do think the Heat win game one, but I think the Celtics win the series in maybe six games, something like that. Um, I think it's just, it's a, again, it's kind of like a, the Heat, the, the Heat really did not have to exert much effort at all in their series, and the Celtics had to exert just more effort than any of those guys have ever put into a series before in this most recent series. So, like, I just think you're going to have that adjustment game where the Heat are just going to be so fresh and so physical, and the Celtics are, are just going to be kind of – like, it's kind of like a schedule loss, like you said. Um, but then – I think after after that, I think the Celtics just have too much. Uh, it seems like it's sort of their time. Um, they've like Tatum and Brown, uh, and and you know to a lesser degree, Smart and Horford have kind of been through uh, the types of playoff battles and failures that sort of 
you know, it is kind of their due to kind of take that next step and, and win a title, I think, uh, especially just given what you saw from Tatum in game six. Like, I think he's he's proven that he's he's ready to be the best player in a, a, a run of playoff series. So, um, you know, I think I think the Celtics win probably in, in six, but I, I do think the Heat win game one. Yeah, as you were speaking, the line uh, on the DraftKings Sportsbook moved from one and a half to two uh, in favor of Miami. So that, that's the kind of poll that you have. This episode isn't even released <laughs> yet, and, and they already know where you're going. Um, you know, Miami's just been such a weird team for me. Like, I think they're the team that I've watched the least of, of all the four remaining teams, just because it feels like none of their games have really mattered all that much. You know, it's like every time, it, 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 you know, there was 2-2 with Philly, and all of a sudden it's like a 25-point blowout the next game. And the next thing you know, the series is over, um, you know, round one against Atlanta just kind of felt like a joke the whole time, you know, never really felt like Atlanta um, was, was a true threat to win that series. And Miami just cruised through these first two rounds shooting 29% from three as a team. You know, they have not played well at all. They've had injuries. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler's look really good, but other than that, it's just kind of been like a ho-hum, you know, playoff run so far. And, you know, part of me thinks like, that's great. They've barely had to try and they're in the Eastern conference finals. But part of me also thinks that, you know, the competition level is going to ramp up dramatically. You know, you're, you're not going up against James Harden. You're going up against this Boston team that just had to fight for its life for seven games against Milwaukee. So, you know, again, I, I could see Miami being the fresher team, being ready for this. I could also see them being a little shell-shocked by, you know, how much, how much of a challenge this is going to be relative to the last two rounds. Yeah, I, I do think they were kind of playing down to their opponents in those rounds. Like, um, I I really was not interested in watching that Heat Sixers series. It was just just a team that was gonna like. I just I was so I was one hundred percent confident the Heat were winning the series, mm-hmm. and it was just a matter of how much were they gonna have to try to get it done. Um, and I just the Sixers are just not a fun team for me to watch. Um, and so it was just kind of a almost a pointless series to watch. I, I thought from like a viewing standpoint and, uh, but I do, I do think this heat team is going to be very, very dialed in for this series. And I think that they, they view themselves as like a team that's going to win it all. Like, I think they're all very confident about that. And so I, I do think it'll be a really good Eastern conference finals. I just think the Celtics have a little bit too much. Yeah, I'm with you. The Celtics were my official pick uh, yesterday when I when I locked that in. And at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if the Heat win the series in six or seven, it's not going to be, like, an all-time shock to me by any means. I, no. I could see Boston, you know, kind of running out of gas at some point. All right, we are back with some more monkey knife fight picks for Tuesday night's game one of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. We're starting with a two-by-two. Two. So 3.6x our buying amount on MKF if we hit this. Uh, And we're looking at two scoring props for the two best players in this series. Jason Tatum, 28 and a half points is his game one prop. I'm going more here. It felt like Tatum started to heat up and gain a ton of confidence as that Milwaukee series went along. Had 46, of course, in their Celtics game six victory. Could have had 30 plus in game seven had that game not gotten so out of hand had he not uh, opted to be more of a distributor carving up that Bucks defense. Uh, I, I think the Heat, you know, maybe let Tatum get his, and, and focus on limiting the guys who killed Milwaukee throughout that entire series. Al Horford, Grant Williams, Jalen Brown, Derek White. Uh, Tatum is so good, he's going to score no matter what. 
So I like the more on 28 and a half for Jason Tatum in game one. For the second leg of this one, we're looking at Jimmy Butler. His prop is a little bit lower. He's at 25.5 points for game one. Had some huge scoring games in rounds one and two of the playoffs, even in games when Miami struggled. I mean, he put up 33 uh, in a game where Miami only had 79 points as a team. He's taken a ton of shots. He's taking way more threes in the playoffs than we saw from Butler during the regular season. Uh, as has been the case in the past, he's more aggressive. He's just a different offensive player uh, during the postseason. So I think we see an aggressive Jimmy Butler in game one, likely no Kyle Lowry for the Miami Heat. So I'm going more on Jimmy Butler, 25 and a half points, more on Jason Tatum, 28 and a half points. We hit both of these 3.6x our buying amount on monkeyknifefight.com. Make sure you use our promo code RWMBA. That'll get you a free $10 NBA contest ticket. Uh, let's switch to the Western Conference, and we, we'll, we'll kind of follow the same script here. We'll start with Game 7, Suns-Mavs, and um, then move into a little preview of Mavs-Warriors before we hit the NBA lottery. Uh, I have written in my notes, Suns-Mavs Game 7. What the heck? What was that? What was that? I, 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 The Suns were the team that I was the most confident in to get back to the finals. I thought they were the, the most bulletproof team throughout the regular season. They were arguably the most bulletproof team all of last year. Thought they had a great chance to to win the title after being up 2-0 a year ago. They looked even more consistent. Um, you know, obviously we got the oh, actually Chris Paul was injured the entire time narrative once again for like the 15th straight year. But I, I still don't think that really explains what we saw on Sunday. Well, I I was higher on the Mavs in that series than I think almost anyone. Like I, I thought people were um, kind of overlooking just how big of a gap there was between Luca and whoever the best player on the Suns is. I mean, Devin Booker, I guess, but um, like, I also think people have always underrated Luca, Luca's ability to just carry a team to, to the finals because he played that Clippers team that was also quite underrated at full strength. Like, a, I mean, that was just one of my all-time favorite series, that Clippers uh, Mavs series from uh, where, where Kawhi and Luka were just kind of trading games yeah. and just being unstoppable. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised the Mavs won the series at all. Uh, and especially it did seem like they really unlocked uh, just a, a level of potency with their their best five where you have Finney Smith at the four and Kleber at the five. Like it's just uh, a really deadly modern two-way attack. So that them winning didn't surprise me, but the Suns completely no showing game seven was, I mean, a lot of people have said this, but maybe the most bizarre, um, just like if you told someone going into that game, here's going to be the final score, it would have just been unbelievable. <laughs> like, well, or here's going to be the score in the middle of the third quarter when it was, what, 36 yeah. points? Yeah. Um, and so I, I definitely think – and I mean, this kind of is just a given at this point to me that there's more going on here than just Chris Paul was playing injured. Uh, there's got to be some sort of, and I, you know, the eight and stuff has been. Yeah, there were a lot of cryptic on. comments after the game, um, like at the, the the Robert Sarber, like you know, who knows how much info on that investigation was known within the team, and then like. Uh, it, it just sort of seemed like a team that was 
not ready to fight, which is not how you would have expected them to approach a, a game seven like that, especially when um, th- this was basically their last chance to win the, the finals with the this iteration of the team because mm-hmm. you just can't like I Chris Paul is a, an all time great, but there's just no way you can rely on him to be the second best player on a title team, given how good the Clippers are going to be next year, how good the Nuggets are going to be next year, how good the Mavs are going to be next year. Like this was their last chance. And so for them to no show in a game seven, there, there has to be something more going on than just Chris Paul was playing hurt. Right. I, I, yeah, I don't. I, Phoenix can still be a good team next year, especially if they bring Aiton back, or you know, you sign and trade him for like Miles Turner, or you know, if you if you get a comparable piece, it's not like they can't be a good team. But they have now lost, you know, whatever kind of air of I wouldn't say invincibility because obviously they just lost the finals, but you know that air of like we're the team to beat. Like nobody is anybody scared of the Suns after that. I mean, I watching that final series last year, and again, I know Phoenix lost the series, but like every single game was terrifying partially because you know I was rooting so hard for Milwaukee but you're like man this team has so many weapons you know every time the ball goes to McCall Bridges in the corner you think it's going down same with Cam Johnson it just felt like they lost all of that uh, over the final two games of this series and and yeah I mean they, they if if they bring back essentially the same team you know they could win 58 games they could be the one or the two seed again but you know Memphis is going to be a bigger threat Golden State should be better Dallas should be better like you said you know, Denver's going to be healthier. Teams like Minnesota, you know, are climbing the Pelicans. Like, I, I don't think we can say for sure that like the Suns are cooked, but I, I think we can say for sure that combining last year and this year, there is no way they're ever going to have a more open two-year window to win a title. No, I mean, this was uh, most, most teams don't get, this wide open <laughs> two-year I mean, window. To I mean, the, the carpet was laid out for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to ch- look at what their odds were, um, you know, coming into the playoffs. Like before the Booker injury, I mean, they were a heavy, heavy favorite, not only to come out of the West, but to win the title. Yeah, and they had a 2-0 lead on the Bucks last year in yeah. the finals. So, yep. um, I mean, I, Suns fans have had it really, like the amount of um, brutal – like uh, losses in the playoffs that Suns fans have had to endure over the past like 25 years is right is up there with anyone I mean the like I I would you know I was a huge fan of those the Nash Suns and basically every year they found a new way to have like a heartbreaking exit when they had one of the two or three best teams in the league and that's been the case uh, these past two years as well yeah, at least they've been able to spread it out, you know, because they went like 10 years without making the playoffs <laughs> after the National League. But, but like heartbreak per capita, they're, they're way yeah. up there, way, way up there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just to lose a game like that is, is so, so shocking. You know, it, it's one thing to, you know, if, if you're up 10 and you blow a lead in the fourth quarter, I mean, that's, that's equally heartbreaking. But to never even really compete in a game seven at home. I mean, it was, it was funny watching the fourth quarter of that game. It looked like a preseason game. There was like, you know, 15% capacity. Like everybody just ditched. And why would you not when your team is down 46 uh, in the second half of an elimination game? Um, You know, I I don't want to go through and do the, the Chris Paul full audit, you know, plenty of other podcasts and writers have, you know, compiled the list of, of every playoff failure, but man, I mean, it is, it's different than like James Harden because you know, Chris Paul is like, it's like not doing it on purpose. Whereas with James Harden, you're just like, what is going on here? But I, I don't, I mean, at this point, like, does anyone have a worse resume? 
I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Like there, there have been guys who, you know, LeBron had like a, a pretty questionable resume. Like that 2011 Mavs mm-hmm. series was like as big of a black mark as it gets. But when you come back and win the next two, and then you get another one, and then you get another one with the Lakers, it's all forgiven. Like Chris Paul has all of those losses, but has never had the one redeeming series. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think I, Harden's Harden's resume is worse. Like, I mean, I know yeah. that maybe you could argue that Paul was on more total teams that had a realistic shot of going to the finals. But right. uh, including teams with Harden. Yeah, I just you can't stack up Chris Paul and James Harden's playoff stats and say that it's the same thing. It's just not like I, I think I think it's more really because a lot of Chris Paul's uh, blemishes have just been injury related. And um I think that's just a part of his story. That's part of his career story is just a lot of injuries at the worst possible time. And I think you can probably uh, trace that to like, he's almost a victim of his own longevity because most players, his age, uh, especially his size have been done playing for like five years and he's been able to last this long, but it also shouldn't be surprising that a 37 year old who's five foot 11 and a half is breaking down deep into seasons. And so you, you almost have to kind of uh, just, I think he needs to have his minutes and his games managed in a different way than every other player, his caliber in the playoffs. Like he needs to basically be on like a 28 minute a game, 28 to 32 minutes per game, kind of regardless of the score because otherwise he's just going to break down in a seven-game series. Like, if you're pushing him much past that, and, you know, it's it's kind of like, at what point, how many times does he need to break down in a right. playoff run for his usage to be adjusted? So I, I think he just – it's it's kind of sad. Like, he, he's going to go down as, you know, uh, one of the – three or five best players ever to not win a title. And, um, but I, I just don't think he's had moments of choking, but I don't think he's had as many, like, it's not like he's got more moments of choking than, you know, many other great players do. Uh, it, like his, his highlight tape of him just kind of blowing in big spots, um, like, it's not it's not a super long one whereas like James Harden there's just dozens of <laughs> that's like a 30 minute yeah. mixtape yeah no you're right i mean it honestly his career in a lot of ways reminds me of of like Aaron Rodgers if Aaron Rodgers never got the 2010 super bowl you know it's just it's just like <laughs> failure after failure after failure but like only a few of them are, are really his fault you know i mean with with Rodgers there's a little bit of injury there's a little bit of the defense just letting him down you know there's just weird circumstances every single year um, but you can always say like, man, at least he won that one. Like Chris Paul just doesn't have that, you know, he didn't win a title in his third year to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't, I think he's probably maybe taking even too much heat here, um, from that game. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know. Well, I just, I don't know what was going on with the team. Like there are enough good 
NBA reporters where I assume we're going to get some sort of someone's going to spill the beans and it's going to be like, well, this is happening like yeah. hours before the game type of thing. Like I, I just like Chris Paul was injured. I mean, he's always injured. Like that's not a, I'm not kind of excusing him fully because he was injured, but Devin Booker wasn't injured at all. And Devin Booker yeah. didn't score till the end of the first half either. So like, yeah, I, I think you, you can't blame Paul and then not blame the healthy young guy either. True. No, for sure. I, I think with Paul, there's this compounding effect, right? Where it happens, you know, this is what the like 10th straight year where they've come up short in various ways. So it, it feels like it's, it's a bigger deal for him. Like with Booker, there's always the, well, he'll be back. He'll be back. And that's what we said about Paul 10 years ago. And, and here we are. So no, I'm not saying it falls squarely on Paul. It definitely does not. Um, I think it fall, I mean, top down, right? I mean, if you get, if you're down 46, to an inferior team at home in a game seven, it, it cannot be blamed on one guy. But I, I also think if, if Chris Paul wants to be mentioned as an all-time great, as one of the best players in the league today, that's just kind of comes with the territory. You know, if, if LeBron or Kevin Durant or Giannis lost a game seven by 46, you can, you can bet that there would be people criticizing them. I don't, I don't think they'd get away scot-free. So I, I don't think Chris Paul deserves any sort of pass here either. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, it's kind of more of the same, I guess. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think he had like the opportunity this year to solidify his legacy, mm -hmm. but him just kind of breaking down again and all of his teammates sucking in a game seven. Like, I don't, I don't know how much that hurts his legacy personally. Well, yeah, just, I think it's just the same, you know, I, yeah. I think it's right where it was last year. It's just another yeah. loss. I don't think, I don't think it knocks him down from the 25th no. best player to the 40th best player. You know, I think it's just at this point, he's locked in all time. You know, anybody, unless you're a hot take artist who only cares, you know, you just sort players by number of rings and that's your ranking. Um, you know, Chris Paul's legacy has been secured for five plus years now. Um, it's just about, you know, what he can add to it. I don't think he can subtract from it at this point. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, 
and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Let's look at Mavs Warriors. Uh, game one of this series tomorrow night on Wednesday. Um, the Warriors, yeah, I wouldn't say they're heavy favorites, but fairly heavy favorites, um, considering that the four teams we have left here. Mavs have the fourth best odds to win the title at DraftKings. Golden State has the best odds at plus 140. So the odds makers see this as the more lopsided series uh, relative to Boston-Miami. Yeah, I actually think the Mavs are going to win the series. So um, I would – I like those odds from a gambling standpoint. Um, it's kind of the same thing with the, the Suns. Like, I, I don't expect the Warriors to – lose a game seven by as much as the Suns did, but there's still a massive gap to me between Luka Doncic and Steph Curry and the rest of the Warriors. And uh, defensively, this Mavs team's better. Um, They just – they're playing defense at such a high level right now in in the way that it matters most in the playoffs where they – can switch uh, whenever they want. Um, all their guys are flying around and putting forth max effort, but they're also just so locked in together with knowing uh, where they're supposed to be. Um, I think this Mavs coaching staff has shown that they are up to the task. And I think you could even argue that the Warriors coaching staff uh, kind of stunk it up in that, that Grizzlies series um, like they they won the series uh, pretty convincingly but they just it's not a very uh, tactical adjustment heavy Warriors team like mm-hmm. they're just going to kind of do what they do and hope that they outscore you and uh, I just I like Luca is just such a problem right now I think it's going to take a really clever scheme and a lot of adjustments to beat this Mavs team. 
and I, I just I don't really think it's going to happen. So um, I'll take the Mavs in six or seven. Yeah, to me, this series is much closer to a coin flip. Like I, I totally understand why Golden State is the favorite, but you know, you look at the, the odds to win the series right now. It's Golden State minus two twenty five, Dallas plus one eighty five. I, you know, I think it should be closer to what we see in the East where, you know, Boston is a minus 185 favorite, Heat plus 155. Um, you know, I, I, Dallas, I, I think, has had a tougher path to get here. And, and Golden State, to me, kind of feels like they're in that same zone as Miami, where they, they really haven't played all that well. They had a couple of good games in round one against Denver, but they've played like B-minus basketball and were just able to put it on cruise control. And you're not going to be able to do that in this round. You know, like you, you kind of lull yourself to sleep playing like that. And now you're going to have to ramp it up against the best player remaining in the playoffs. So it, it does seem like there's a lot of momentum for Dallas to kind of keep this going, take game one. Uh, if that happens, I, I think Dallas is going to be in a really good spot, you know, getting games three and four at home. Then you have a little bit of a cushion in game two. Um, you know, the Warriors are the, the favorite to win the title, like I said. So I, I think they do deserve respect. But I also think this, this Warriors team is different than obviously the Durant Warriors and, and even the pre-Durant Warriors. Like they don't, they don't seem to have that that extra gear where you could you know they could be down twenty at the half in twenty sixteen and you just knew at some point this game is going to be tied in the fourth quarter like you, no matter what they're going to have the run and it's going to be close I, I don't really get that same vibe from this team anymore. Well, and the lineup that they have to put out there to make a run like that is a mediocre defensive group. Like, yep, jo- Jordan Poole's so much worse defensively than the key guys that those championship teams were relying on. And I think the Mavs are like Jalen Brunson and um, Spencer Dinwiddie aren't amazing, but those are guys that it's, you, you have to really be able to kind of stay in front of. And so you would assume that like Steph and, and Poole are largely going to be guarding those two guys and, I just think it's going to tire them out on the defensive end. And I think there's going to be a lot of you know, back cuts for layups and stuff like that. And um, it's just, they're going to, the, the Warriors are going to have to be so um, like, they're going to have to overload so much on Luca and he's so good at passing out of double teams and stuff like that, that I just, I mean, if, if the Mavs just make threes at kind of a, a normal clip, like a 32, 34% clip or something like that, I, I think they win because I think they're just going to have better looks than the Warriors are going to have. And they have, you know, having the best player in a series like this when it's just kind of very cut and dry, like, mm-hmm. I, like Steph Curry's awesome, but Steph Curry has not been playing – near the level that Luke has been playing. Like, I think that, like, the the gap between, like, the way Giannis and Tatum played in that series is smaller to me than the gap between the way Luke and Steph are going to play in this series. So, uh, they're just, like, Poole and Clay and Steph are just going to have to really shoot the lights out in four of these games to, to win, I think. And I, and I also think that the line... It's it's just because the Warriors are such a public team. Like people, just the general public, you know, like Steph Curry and the Warriors 
Western Conference yeah. Finals, like that's just such a chalky pick, you know. Like, sure. I don't, I don't think the line necessarily reflects the true odds of of that series. Well, you also have the rest advantage too, you know, similar to what we talked about with Miami and Boston. I think that's part of it, at least for Game One. Um, I mean, with Steph, like the numbers look good in the playoffs. I mean, it's kind of the same story as what we saw in the regular season. Like he's averaging 27, five and four, 45% from the field, 36% from three, you know, by any metric that's good, but it's not Steph Curry standards. You know, when he was at his peak, he was shooting 42, 43, 44% from three on 10, 11 attempts per game. Like that's, that's a big drop off 36% still very good, still, you know, elite by some standards, but he's just hasn't really been the same guy and, and they definitely need him to be, you know, 2016, 2017, Steph Curry, uh, I think in this series to, to offset Luca. And it, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right. That you can just casually say, yeah, Luca is for sure the best player in a series that has Steph Curry on the other side. Well, yeah, I think Luca would be for sure the best player in any series that didn't involve Giannis or Durant right now. So like he's mm-hmm. he's just kind of ascended to that level, and like when it comes to the playoffs, a guy that does what Luca does is just way more uh, dominant than a guy that does what like Joel Embiid does, or a guy that even like Jokic. Uh, it's just you, you, there's nothing you can do defensively. Like I remember when right. the last time the Bucks played the Mavs, uh, they tried like six different things to try to stop Luca and none of it even came close to working. Like it's just, there's, there's nothing you can do really. So you mentioned the Mavs three point shooting in this last series against Phoenix. Uh, all four of these players shot at least 45% from three Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, Davis Bertans. How confident are you that that can continue? Assuming those same looks are relatively close are going to be there because I mean, in theory, this should be a slightly easier defensive matchup against Golden State versus that Phoenix team that was one of the best defenses in the league for the last two years. Yeah, I think uh, the one to keep an eye on is uh, Kleber because I I think he was shooting above his head. Uh, quite He's at 49% big. for the playoffs. Yeah, uh, that's the one where I think you're going to – you have to be kind of um, cushioning for some regression – um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, I think they are, they're going to get better looks. They're going to get cleaner looks. Usually, I feel like usually when it's like a, a team on a, like a playoff run like this, the guys are either going to, and, and when the defense, when you're actually maybe playing a worse defense in the, the ensuing round, guys just kind of get that sort of confidence and that comfortability, uh, from three and it sort of keeps carrying over. Um, and also I, I think like the Warriors home crowd is sort of sneakily overrated at this point, kind of like, I think the Bucks home crowd is, is overrated as well. Uh, you just have, uh, all, all the like seats close to the court have just been priced out from like real fans and you just have like rich people <laughs> sitting in these seats yeah. who don't really know anything and aren't that invested you know so like it's just I, I don't think Golden State is, is that tough a place to play anymore and uh, I mean the Mavs that, that building's going to be rocking for those three games so um, yeah I, I don't know it 
it's uh, kind of a cop out, but like if it, it will probably come down to three point shooting to a large degree, you know, like if mm-hmm. if Pool and Clay and Steph are just lights out, whenever whenever those three are all just hitting shots in the same game, I think the Warriors win. It's just a matter of can they get the good good enough looks and all be firing at, um, at the same time. And then conversely, like, obviously, if, if those role players for the Mavs aren't hitting their three-pointers, then they're probably going to lose those games. So it's just kind of a matter of how many of those times does it line up right for each team. Right. You need the, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, 10 of 14 from three in game six and seven against, like, you, you need a couple of those games. Like, Kleba had an eight three-pointer game. Uh, earlier in the playoffs. And, and really, that's what Milwaukee needed, I think, against Boston. They just needed one game where, you know, uh, Pat Connaughton or George Hill or Wes Matthews goes 5 of 7 from beyond the arc, and, and they never really got that. I, I think the strategy for Dallas is, you know, one, keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, it worked against Phoenix. In theory, it should work uh, against Golden State. You know, defensively, it's going to be a little more of a challenge just with the gravity that Steph and Clay and, and, and Poole create. But I, I think you kind of take that that 2018 LeBron Cavs blueprint, right. Of, you know, I've always said like the teams that have had the most wins, maybe not the most playoff success with LeBron are the teams or it's, it's no question. He's the ball handler, nobody else. And it's four shooters around him. And that's what this Dallas team reminds me of. You know, I I think that's why it was so smart in a number of ways to, uh, to get rid of Porzingis. And at the time, I'll admit, I did not like the return. I thought Bertans and Dinwiddie was super underwhelming. And, And honestly, both of those guys, have turned out to be really nice acquisitions, but you no longer have the forced Porzingis possessions. You know, you, you, you kind of just have to dump it down and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Those guys are okay with Luca handling the ball every single second he's on the court because they know that he's going to create the best look. And I, I think long-term that that can be better sometimes than having this secondary guy, whether it's a ball handler a wing or a big man who you feel obligated to get shots that oftentimes are not the best shots you can get. Yeah, and I think the big, the big like the thing that they have going for them that even those Cavs teams didn't have going for them is that like Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith are two of the most underrated two-way players in the league. Like Kleba, especially uh, to have a center who can shoot threes at a high clip and can also switch on to wings is just it's such a rarity and it's such a playoff uh like a a nice thing to have like in your back pocket when we're talking about the playoffs where rotations get shorter uh big men get played off the court you're just going to be pick and rolled to death like having someone like that it's just such a luxury uh that most teams don't have and then dorian finney smith um just kind of a, a perfect role player uh, so just having not only are you stretching it out, you're spacing it out with Luca and, and four shooters, but all four of those shooters uh, can can hold their own defensively, and some of them are, are really good defenders. And yeah, that that Porzingis trade, uh, I think I, I just liked them trading him. Uh, that by itself, I thought was kind of a win. I didn't, I wasn't sold on the return though either. Like I thought it was just kind of more of a. We're probably not going to win the title this year, but if we can just get two smaller contracts, then we can get off that money quicker. And, uh, like, when I saw Dinwiddie play, I'll admit I didn't watch many Wizards games this year, but the one time I did watch Dinwiddie when he was still in Washington, he looked so terrible. 
that I can I can kind of see it from the Wizards standpoint of we have this albatross terrible contract in Bertans. We have this guy who really hasn't been close to what we thought we were getting when we signed him in free agency. So let's take this big swing. Uh, but yeah, it's worked out really well. And I think it's, it's kind of cool that the Celtics and the Mavs, the two teams that I'm picking to go to the finals, both made, uh, you know, big ish in season trades, not for superstars, but they shook up their roster a little bit and it really paid off. And I, I wish more teams would be willing to, to sort of take swings like that. But of course, both those teams were coming from a place where they'd gotten off to pretty disappointing starts of the season. So you're typically not going to see, you know, like what if the Suns had had the foresight or the courage to trade DeAndre Ayton in season, you know, like would they, would they still be playing? Like maybe, but it's really hard to pull that trigger when you're the best team in the league. Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah, you destroyed all the credibility of this podcast when you said that you haven't watched a lot of Wizards games this season. So, so thanks for that. Um, but I, Spencer Dinwiddie at one point this year launched his own shoe that displays the live price of Bitcoin uh, on the shoe. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think you're in the wrong to say that he was. Uh, it wasn't exactly a um, you know a, a, an issue when he he got out of Washington. I think they were fine with him doing that. Uh, let's talk NBA draft lottery. Then we'll get out of here. Um, Again, like I said, kind of snuck up on me. You know, we're so we're so locked in on the playoffs, and all of a sudden the lottery just pops up. But you know, we're a little or a little over a month uh, until the NBA draft on June 23rd. Houston, Orlando, Detroit, the three worst teams in the league this season. They have the same odds to get the number one pick, about 14% chance. You got OKC right behind that trio. Indiana, Portland, Sacramento. Um, it would be the Lakers next, but of course that pick belongs to the Pelicans. Uh, or perhaps even the Grizzlies, depending on where it falls. Um, but I, I want to ask you right away, you know, what's the the most exciting scenario for you tonight, whether it's a team jumping up to number one or, or a team that you, you know, kind of want to be locked into the top three to get one of the, you know, the bigger names in this draft, like, um, you know, as a fan or just from a, a fun NBA perspective, what, what do you most want to see? Uh, I, I really want the Thunder to good luck this year. Uh, they obviously had horrible luck on this night last year. And I I don't really think that they're going to be done tanking regardless of what they do this year, because I think they want to just give themselves a decent shot at Victor Wemyana next year. Uh, but I am just like, I'm so sick of uh, like, especially from a fantasy perspective, like you'll be like you'll watch a Thunder game and you'll be like, oh, that guy looks pretty good. Like I, I might pick him up, but then they just stop playing him because he's too good. You know, like that that, Trey man. that part. Right? Yeah, Trey Man exactly. Uh, you know, Kendrick Williams. We're not. We're never going to play you more than twenty-two minutes because you might help us win too many games. Um, so I don't think that's going to stop next year, unfortunately, because of the Victor Wembanyama big prize. Uh, but. I also just I like some players on this team and I just think it would be really fun if they actually had sort of a clear uh, core of the future. Whereas right now it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like Giddy and Shea, is Shea even going to like still be around by the time this team is really good, you know, like so I would like them to add like another really big piece uh, because I, I think they've got some nice sort of supporting pieces, but they don't really yet have 
anyone who's, you know, a future all NBA type of guy. Yeah, I think Presti's looking at SGA as like this aging veteran that that, that hopefully they can dump that contract before, you know, he, he plays out of his prime. Yeah, OKC jumping up, uh, you know, at least into that top three would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, we don't know anything about Shaden Sharp, who, you know, you'll see now on a lot of mocks. Uh, you know, you'll see him somewhere in the, you know, three, as high as three, maybe as low as nine or ten range. I think he's going to be really interesting to see if, if he can kind of become – the de facto like fourth guy in this class behind Holmgren, Jabari uh, and Bancaro. Um, so, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need to get into the top three if you're OKC, but if you do, and it is one of those three guys, I, I think it fits well, you know, OKC and, and really any team should not be drafting for need at the top of the draft, but, you know, adding a front court guy is kind of exactly what they need. You have Giddy in place, you have SGA in place, you, you kind of have Dort in place you know, if you want to count them as part of that core, but you know, the front court has been a disaster. Like the center spot, especially for OKC has been just this rotation of like horrific options over the last couple of years. So I think adding a Jabari Smith, adding a Bancaro, certainly adding a Holmgren to that SGA giddy core, I think makes a lot of sense on paper. Yeah, I've really kind of got Holmgren sort of circled as like just a perfect Thunder guy, you know, like – um they love like they love guys that like are all sizes and can handle and pass and stuff. And he, he definitely fits that. Uh, I, I mean, are you kind of, so are you not including like Jaden Ivy as like a, like, is he below the, those three big men? You obviously oh, the for, thunder, for me, the thunder is. aren't taking Ivy obviously, but right. Yeah. For me, he is. I mean, I, I like Jaden Ivy a lot. I just, I, you know, I, I don't know that he screams like, instant impact, like really good NBA player for me. I think the shot is a big question mark. I think there's questions of like, you know, is he a point guard? Is he, you know, I don't know that he does enough things well to be a, a really good two guard. Like I think he's going to be fine. Um, I just feel like it, it, I'm not making the comparison player to player. I, I could just, I feel like there's some like Chris Dunn vibes here for some reason. I know Chris Dunn was older. I know he was more defensive minded, more distributor. Like I'm not saying they're the same player, but and to me, there's just, I don't know, there's just something that I'm a little hesitant to buy in on with Ivy. I totally, like, I totally get that comp. Uh, I think that's actually a really good sort of cautionary comp on him. I just, I guess I'm not sold on any of these guys. So, like, I, I think, like, I just, I just don't know how anyone can say with any sort of confidence like, this is the best guy in this class, uh, and he's definitely going to pan out. Like, I just, I don't think it's that type of class. Like, I think you, like, there's, on draft day, there were probably five or six guys from last year's class that I would take ahead of any of these guys. So, uh, and one of those guys was, like, I would have taken Jalen Suggs over all these guys, and he's a bust. So, like, I just don't think you can say with any confidence that um, there's, like, a sure thing here. You can see how it could work out for all of them, and I would sort of, like t for that reason, I think Shaden Sharp is very interesting because if if any of these guys could be a relative disappointment, and Shaden Sharp's the only real wing in the draft, like in, that you could take that high, uh, I think there's like a case for for going after him. And like I, I don't think Ivy has more bust potential than the other guys, but I do think uh, a lot of these teams could really use that front court. Uh, star more than they could the, the backcourt guy. Yeah, I agree with you. There's definitely not a, a sure thing 
in this class. Although I personally, if I, if I were a GM, I would take Chet Holmgren number one and not really think all that hard about it. I think it's, it's the, the clear upside play. You know, if you're talking about the top three or four guys, uh, and again, we'll see, you know, what shade and sharp works out. He apparently threw up like a 49 inch vertical uh, at, at like a private workout recently. So we'll see, um, you know, if he can work his way into that conversation. But I, I think if, if I'm a team like OKC or Houston or Orlando, you know, where I, I, I really need somebody to, to, to get me to that next level. I think to me, Holmgren is clearly that guy. Now there's definitely a chance he could bust and could be a big disaster. And he's just not physical enough. Like I get all that. Um, but I, I think he is, to me, is very clearly the guy with the most upside, especially if you're just comparing him to Smith and Bancaro. Yeah, and I think I, I think I'd buy that. Uh, but I also, I think there's a at least a fifty percent chance that he's the type of guy who would really get uh, hunted slash exposed in like a conference finals level playoff series. Um, I, I don't know. I, early on. Sure. I, I, I don't, I don't know though. I, I think defensively he's going to hold up. I, I think, well, just, I mean, obviously like, are you talking just physical strength? Um, several things. So how, like, what's he going to shoot from three, like NBA threes, like pretty open looks like what percentage is he going to shoot? Because if it's, only like 30% or like if, if it's bad enough that everyone just leaves him wide open and dares him to shoot in these super high end playoff series, that's, that's problem one. Uh, problem two is I really think there's like every year we, we kind of um, learn just how different the NBA game and the college game is in terms of, uh, speed of play and stuff like that. Like if you, like if you get Chet Holmgren switched onto you, and you're one of these apex wings like a like a Tatum or a Doncic, I really don't think it's going to be hard for you to just abuse that matchup one on one. And if he's at the rim, like he puts up all these crazy block numbers playing against college guys. Uh, I think like Jalen Brown could put his body into Holmgren on a drive and finish over him pretty easily. I think so. I, I just, I don't know. I think there's, there's a huge gap between like for the things that he does really well. I think that the college versus NBA gap is really going to put pressure on those strengths and potentially expose some issues that maybe haven't been exposed yet. Uh, I, I do think there's like, a, there's a scenario where, you know, it, it, it works out and it works out in a huge way. And I think his uh, passing is, is a really big key to unlocking that sort of level of, of star quality that, that is in there. But uh, I, I do think um some of his potential weaknesses at the NBA level haven't been tested yet by the players he's faced. That's all fair. Um, you know, the shooting thing, I, I'll push back on that a little bit. I mean, I, I know you can't just assume that it's always going to translate, but he was 39% from three at Gonzaga. So it's like, I, I, he answered that question at the college level. I don't really know what else you could ask. Like if you want to be skeptical and say, it's not going to, it's not going to translate. I can't prove that it will, but 
I don't know. He shot about as well as you could ask at the college level. So it's not like he's coming in shooting 30% at Gonzaga and you're saying like, you need to take this major leap. Like the foundation of a good jump shot is there. Like, is he ever going to be breaking guys down off the dribble and taking a step back three? No, probably not. But I think he's very likely to at least be a guy who you cannot just leave wide open for catch and shoot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I just, I don't know. Like I, I, from watching him shoot, I'm just not sold. Like I think it, it, you're, he could be a 38% three point shooter in the NBA and that would not shock me. And that would be really great for his value. But I, I just, I think, I think it's, it's an unknown to enough of a degree to me um, in the NBA. I mean, like, uh, it's also just the big guys in college, like seven footers in college. uh, I just think it's so much easier to shoot for a high percentage than it is once you get to the NBA, like, um, like Frank Kaminsky comes to mind. Like, okay. Wow. All right. I'm, well, what, what, like, it's just, you're, you're <laughs> no, never, yeah, you're, right. you're, you're just never under pressure. You're never, no one's coming close to challenging you when you can yeah. shoot it above your head like that. No, that's true. Um, so Houston, you know, if Houston ends up with the number one pick, I, I don't really know where they go. I, I think I could see them taking the home grid path. Uh, you could say the same for Orlando, even with Carter and Bamba somewhat, you know, in place as future pieces. I, I don't know that Orlando would be deterred. I think OKC would take home grid. I think we agree on that. You know, Detroit to me is a little interesting. I mean, they're still a very bad team. It's not like they're close to contending, but you already have, you have the piece in place in Cunningham. So to me, Detroit is in a position where you don't necessarily have to swing for the fences here. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked. Like if Detroit gets the number one pick, I could see them taking Bancaro or Jabari Smith under the guise of like, we just need to get a guy who we know is going to be really good because we already have the guy in Kate Cunningham. Um, d- does that logic check out to you? Well, yeah, they're they're also going to be probably making sure the guy's a good fit with Marvin Bagley. Um, yeah, yeah, future three-year contract recipient, Marvin Bagley. And so, um, yeah, no, I would not be surprised. I would be – I think the Pistons could go uh, with either Bancaro or Smith uh, quite easily. Uh, a couple other teams that, like, I, you know um, – don't have the greatest odds, but like, I, I think uh, the Spurs to me just really need some sort of front court anchor. Like they, they have a lot of guys that I like as sort of uh, wings and guards, but they're not sort of superstar type guys. Um, so just adding one of those three big men or even a shade on sharp to the mix, I think would be really interesting. And then uh, like Indiana and Houston, like Indiana, I think is, you know, they're, they're 60% of the way there in terms of having a really interesting uh, nucleus going forward, adding a big piece would be, would be great for that. And then obviously Houston is uh, such a, uh, flammable uh, situation right now from like a wins and losses and like defense standpoint, but uh, just adding more talent to that, that nucleus would just be really exciting. Yeah. Indiana, Portland, and uh, you know, the Lakers slash New Orleans is, is where I think it gets really interesting here because the top four teams 
Houston, Orlando, Detroit, OKC are, are all in relatively similar positions. You know, they're, they're at least a year or two away. Um, you know, they're, they're still really building something. Whereas, I mean, Indiana's not going to win the title next year, but you know, th- they're on a higher level in terms of being closer to that ultimate goal than those other teams. I mean, Portland, who knows, it seems like they're going to try to do this rebuild on the fly. You know, if they get, if they get the number one or number two pick, you know, maybe you hold on to that and, and try to kind of bridge eras with Damian Lillard. Um, but otherwise maybe you think about trading that and, and really trying to load up um, and, and trade for a star. Uh, but I, I think New Orleans is really interesting. Like if they were to jump up to the top four, um, I mean, this is a team that I guess in theory, you know, could be a, a dark horse title contender. If you assume Zion's healthy, you assume there's some internal improvement, you know, with guys like Brandon Ingram uh, and then you're adding, you know, a, another top three, top four pick to the mix. Uh, but they're another team too, that if that pick jumps up, I mean, it wouldn't be unfathomable for me with, with the way, with the position that New Orleans is in right now to, to consider trading that pick, you know, I mean, you, you have the core that, you know, you, you could add a young player, that'd be fine. Zion's young, but you also have guys like CJ McCollum, like Valanchunas, who are a little bit older. And if you want to really ramp up your timeline, you know, that's one way to do it. Who would be the best fit? If you could put any prospect on the Pelicans, uh, who would it be? Like any prospect, including the elite guys? Yeah. Man. Well, they're, they're in a position where they're kind of trying to win, right? I mean, you get a taste of the playoffs. You have Zion coming back. I, I don't necessarily think you're looking to develop anybody. You know, to me, they still need guard help. And you don't want to draft for need. But, you know, Sharp or Ivy there would, would be really interesting. Um, you know, basically anything you could do to prevent Devontae Graham from ever playing. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, Ben, I think if they, if they kind of stay in the range where they're currently projected, you know, seven, eight, like Ben Matherin would be an awesome, you know, kind of win now addition, a guy who, who I think could play real minutes for them right away. could play both guard spots, could play a little bit on the wing. Um, that to me is probably the best fit, but you know, I mean, if you have, a, if you have the opportunity to, to add Chet Holmgren and develop him alongside Zion, uh, obviously you do that too. Yeah. The, uh, the Chet Holmgren Zion media day photos would be pretty funny uh (laughs) the side by sides um the like if you were to like who would you like who could you even get in a trade like if if you get like a pick that is desirable uh like i feel like every like every time anyone's talking about like oh this team needs to trade for like a three and d wing like a big wing that can like all that type of stuff and it's just like there, no one is trading those types of players. Yeah, right. No, that's right. Everyone that's right. Them. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I'm thinking, like, let's say that pick. Let's say they jump up to number four. Like, could you trade? And maybe, maybe you don't even view this as that much of an upgrade. But like, would you do like number four and McCollum for Donovan Mitchell, something like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a that's a really good one. I. I'm really kind of bearish on Mitchell adding him into like a winning mix. Um, but that is a, I don't know. I, I think upgrading, like somehow upgrading the, the Valanchunas spot is kind of where I'd want to go. Like if, yeah. if I could get, um, I mean, would, could you trade Valanchunas well, I guess David Griffin's already kind of balked at the idea of trading for Miles Turner, but um, I, I just think you you're not going to get to where you want to go with 
your front court being some combination of Williamson, Valanciunas, and Hayes. Like you, you need defense there from somebody. And uh, so I, to me, that's kind of the, the missing link because you have, you have your sort of wing defenders in Herbert Jones and, and Murphy and uh, like Ingram's improved a bit on that end. And you, you have your offensive initiators already. Uh, you just, you're missing that, that defensive anchor at, at the four or the five to play next to Zion. So I would just be mm-hmm. doing anything I could to, to get that type of player, but there just, there really aren't many of those. The guy who I kind of like for them would be Mitchell Robinson, who I, I believe is a New Orleans native, if, if that really matters. But, you know, you're not, you're not trading CJ McCollum and the number four pick for Mitchell Robinson, but uh, I, I think that would be a, a lower cost, you know, potential acquisition. It's really unclear, you know, what New York thinks of him going forward. Um, but I, I, you know, even if you still keep Valanciunas in that scenario, you could, you could try to find a way to maybe split minutes. Like you probably don't want Valanciunas playing 32 minutes a game alongside Zion anyway. Uh, but you know, New Orleans has gone from, you know, disaster. We were talking about them as just like disastrous scenario. Everything's gone wrong. David Griffin's a disaster like five months ago. And, and all of a sudden now they're, they're in this position to kind of go whatever direction they want. Yeah. He's going to get to work as a, uh talent evaluation magic again so yeah well we'll have to see if chet holmgren has a stepdad uh in the situation here or an (laughs) uncle i I don't really know what his family situation is i I don't think there's a stepdad involved but uh we're gonna need to verify that before maybe if but maybe if chet holmgren just goes wherever zion goes for for brunch uh right he can he can bulk up and handle that that nba uh beating that he's gonna be taking yeah, it would be like the complete opposite concerns of Zion, where it's like we we actually we need him to be eating a lot more uh, whenever Cajun food down there. Take him, take him to your favorite daiquiri place. <laughs> yeah, the drive-through daiquiri restaurants in New Orleans. Um, all right, man, we got to run. I got to hop on the radio in a couple minutes here, uh, but very much looking forward to the lottery tonight, uh, and we'll, we'll be in touch and have you back on at some point during these conference final series. All right, great. Sounds good, man. See ya.